Amen. Well, uh, good morning. How are you guys doing? Yeah, awesome. Uh, my name is Marco. I'm the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse Community Church. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, if you're new, we love Jesus. We love to read through books of the Bible and we go verse by verse, which means we tackle uh, tough and sometimes sensitive topics like we will today. Uh, but nevertheless, if you are new, there are these connect cards on your chairs. Fill one out, drop it in the offering basket. We'd love to hang out with you, see how you're doing, maybe even grab some coffee with you. Uh, in addition to that, we do have Bibles available. If you don't have one, that is our gift to you, whether it's in the rows or in the back connect desk or the connect area. Uh, if you will, I'm going to go ahead and ramble for just a couple of minutes. Go ahead and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, verse Verses 14 through 23. Uh, while you either open your Bible or load your Bible, uh, as I mentioned, I'm going to do a little bit of rambling. Today we are landing the plane. We are closing our time in this wonderful series in our study of Philippians. We've titled it Citizens. And uh, that name comes from uh, chapter 3, verse 20, where, where Paul tells the Philippians that they, just like we, are citizens of heaven. Not something to be looked at in the future, but as of right now. And so because of that, everything changes. Everything changes for the Christian. Our life is completely and utterly transformed by the grace of God as a result of who we are. One of the things that we preach constantly from the pulpit is that our identity determines our activity. It's not the other way around as much as many people would love for you to believe that, that it is what you do that determines who you are. We believe that from Scripture, it is who we are in light of what Christ has done that determines what we do. And so we're going to find ourselves in Philippians 4 as Paul closes. I want to give you a little bit of context, especially if you are new. Uh, so Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, and he's writing to them from a prison in Rome. And he is writing to them on several themes. He has written to them on a joy. He has written to them on humility. He has written to them on what it means to strive after the goal in light of what God has done for you, in you, and is doing through you. He has walked through a variety of themes in our time. Excuse me. Today, the theme that we're going to be talking to that he concludes with is one that he has already brought up, but we're going to dive into a little bit more specifically today. It's a theme of giving, right? That means money, just in case you, were, you weren't sure. That's one of those topics that people start to straighten up in their chair on. And particularly if you're new, you're like, great, I just came to this church and this homeboy is going to be talking about giving. He's going to be talking about my money. Rest assured, man, if you are new, we don't want your money. I'm just glad that you're here. I want you to hear the gospel. I want you to hear what God's word ultimately says. Should you be convicted, that is not of me, that is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay. So here's what I'll do. I want to dive into our time. I want to read this section, then I'll pray, and then we'll look at some numbers, right? Uh, here we go. This is the Apostle Paul. He begins by saying, Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that I, excuse me, know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. 
I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. God, as we dive into your word, uh, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be present among us at work in us. I pray that as we begin to look and unpack giving in the context of the church, that we would not shy away from it, that we would not cower away from it, but that we would in fact be convicted so that we would turn away from our sin, place our trust in Jesus, and ultimately worship him. God, I pray for hearts to be transformed. I pray for minds to be renewed. I pray that I would be set aside and that it would be you speaking to your people. God, I pray that you would soften hearts this morning. I pray that you would just do a tremendous work in us this morning. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Man, so before I begin to unpack, I want to give you kind of a little bit of context when it comes to giving. See, here's, here's what I really, really want us to be. Uh, this, is, this is the kind of church I really want us to be like. I want us to be like the church in Philippi, right? That if you're a member here at Storehouse Community Church, I want us to be like, and I want us to be remembered like the church in Philippi. And so there's going to be a challenge that is going to be issued to you this morning, And that would be that we would be generous as a result of godliness. And not the kind of godliness that you're thinking in the sense of you pulled your bootstraps up on your own, that you stand on your own self-righteousness and you don't need anybody's help, but the kind of godliness that is only made possible through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the kind of godliness I pray that we strive for and that we would be generous as a result of that godliness, not that we would be generous so that we can become godly. I want that to be clear. And I've had a lot of coffees. I'm going to go fast. Right? I want that to be clear, that we would be generous as a result of godliness, not that we would be generous in order to be godly. There's a difference. There is a huge difference. Uh, The Protestant reformer Martin Luther once said, uh, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, the conversion of the mind, and the conversion of the wallet. And so that is what we're going to talk about this morning. You see, when it comes to generous, regular, and sacrificial giving, the church, if we're honest, has a poor reputation. Has a poor reputation because a number of variables exist. There is poor teaching in many churches. There is abusive teaching in many churches. And finally, there is a lack of of teaching in many churches when it comes to giving. And if we're going to be a biblical church, a generous church, then we must first look to the Word of God and also face the reality that's in front of us. We must face the reality that's in front of us. And so biblically what that means is that generosity is a result of spiritual growth. Generosity is a result of sanctification. 
We use that word a lot because we see it throughout Scripture. Sanctification is the ongoing process of salvation. In other words, it is becoming more and more like Jesus, growing to love Him and understand Him more, while simultaneously growing and hating our sin. It happens at the same time. So biblically, generosity is a result of spiritual growth. Statistically, however, Americans, and this might be you and might be us, Americans believe that this area, finances, the area of finances, the area of money, your checking account, your saving account, this area is still private. In fact, many Americans believe that we can have both. We have faith and then we have finances. That finances are private. Let me just be explicitly clear. That if you belong to Jesus, redemption isn't in part. It is the whole thing. Christ wants all of you, every area of your life, including finances. Including finances. In fact, aside from the kingdom of God, Jesus spoke about hell and money the most. Because he knew we're going to come up with trendy, cool hashtags in order to justify why we love money or why we may not necessarily love money, but really we're just afraid to admit or scared to admit, or we just want to cower and not say that it actually is our God. That's really what it is. And so many Americans believe that this is still something private, that it belongs to them, but that goes against the teaching of Scripture. So here are a couple of statistics, not very many, because I want to dive into our time. But according to NP Source, only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation tithes. Only 10 to 25% of a normal congregation tithes. Now, we need to look at a couple of other things, right? What constitutes a normal congregation, right? I don't know. But... I don't know what constitutes a normal congregation, but we can look at statistics and see what the average size of a church is. The average size of a church in the United States is 75 people, right? The average size is 75 people, which means, man, we're awesome because, because of God, but at the same time, man, by his grace, we've grown and are growing, and that's wonderful. Now, with that being said, we average about 165. Praise God. So glad that you're here. And I mean that. I'm not being uh, satirical or sarcastic, and I can do both really well. I'm not, I'm not trying to do that. I'm really, really glad that you're here. But if I'm talking to members, if I'm talking to storehouse members right now, if we look at our numbers, statistically, that means that between 16 to 40 people give regularly, sacrificially, and generously. 16 to 40 people out of 165. Something is off. There's, there's something off. Either, either uh, something is wrong in the sense of, man, maybe the numbers are wrong or we're serving someone else. Christians, same source, MP source, Christians are giving between 2 to 2.5% of their income. All right? The, the follow-up statistic there is that 80% of Americans give to their local church. Of that 80%, they're giving between 2 and 2.5% 2 and of their income. During the Great Depression, giving was up at 3.3%. You would think that it would actually continue to go up in the sense of technological development, the fact that we have so many things available to us, and how far we have come. 
The problem isn't technology. The problem isn't necessarily money. The problem is the condition of our hearts. That is what the problem is. And so giving, as we're about to dive into, giving is a sensitive topic, not only because of improper teaching in many churches, but because this is an area we refuse to trust God in. We rather use words like security and stability and comfort, and there's nothing wrong with that. I get that. But there is something wrong when we use those words rather than admitting that money is really our God. And all we do is just hide behind those words. I just want to be secure. I just want stability. I want to be comfortable. Hey, man, there's nothing wrong with that. I get that. That's cool. We're not necessarily talking about that. We're talking about the condition of your heart, though. Some people will throw those things out just as a way of masking that finances and money really is their God. And we're going to see what Paul says about it. And so I want us to be like and remembered like the Philippian church, who put it all on the table for the glory of God and for the advancing of his gospel. That's the kind of church I want us to be. I want to be a biblical church. I want us to be a generous church who puts it all on the table, all on the line for the glory of God to be made known so that his gospel would be advanced, so that his kingdom would be expanded, not our own, but his. And so we turn to verse verse 14. Now I'm going to go and I might stop at some point. I don't have them numbered on my notes. Paul says, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Last week we talked about contentment. When he uses the word yet, he is transitioning. He's going from contentment now to finances or changing of topics. And so it says, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel... When I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Here's what I love about that section. Generosity was something that the Philippians adopted and embraced from day one. It is something that they adopted and embraced from day one. Paul even references this back in chapter one. He writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Oftentimes, when people become new Christians, what inevitably happens is that we begin to teach people about prayer. We begin to talk to them about discipleship. We begin to talk to them about what it looks like to read their Bibles. And all of those things are great. And all of those things are necessary. And all of those things are important. But one of the things that we often fail to talk about is finances. Because oftentimes what we're really doing is passing on our idols over to them so that we don't talk about that. And that's just something you hide inside of your heart. We just don't talk about finances. But you do need prayer. It was something that the Philippians adopted from day one as part of their growth and discipleship, as part of their understanding for who Christ is and what Christ has done. They adopted partnership. That's giving. That's finances. They adopted that as part of their growth. And Paul uses the word uh, partnership. He says, in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. That word can imply several things. That word can imply prayer. 
And he talks about this many times throughout the letter. He is asking them to pray for him. He is praying for them. It could imply concern. Last week when we talked about contentment, we learned that the word concern is actually mentioned 10 times in Philippians. And so Paul, yeah, he wants them to have concern for him as he wants to have concern for them. But specifically, when he talks about partnership in this context, he's talking about their financial support. He's talking about their financial support. And here's, there's going to be a question for you. And Paul continues. He says, in partnership with me, in giving and receiving. And I want you to underline that. In giving and receiving. See, when it comes to their relationship, number one, their relationship is founded upon the gospel of Jesus. That is their foundation upon which they both stand. And as a result, there is reciprocity. They give and they receive. They give and they receive. That's a healthy friendship. That's a healthy friendship. And he's going to go on in a bit just to say, hey man, I'm not necessarily looking for finances. There are needs, and thank you for those needs, but that's not what makes this healthy. What makes this healthy is the foundation of Christ Jesus. And as a result, we go back and forth. We give and receive. So here's my first question to you. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? And I'll I'll go quickly through these. You see, a consumer is an individual who is incredibly passive. Passive in their faith. Passive in who God's told them to be or do. They are just incredibly passive. In short, they don't do anything. A consumer is someone who takes. A consumer is someone who is incredibly selfish. A consumer is that individual that goes to the church, sits in the pew or in the chair, and says, I want, give me, feed me, let me receive. And by the way, this building stinks. And then they leave. That's a consumer. That's a consumer. Then you have a contributor. A contributor is someone who is faithful. In other words, they follow through with what they believe in as a result of who they are in Christ. As a result of the work of God in them, they actually follow through with what they believe. They're faithful. They are generous. And we're going to talk more about that word, generosity, in a little bit. But essentially, that means that they are sacrificial in their giving. Not just in their serving, but in their giving. And finally, a contributor is missional. This building is merely a tool. We gather here together to worship God together, to sing praises to His name, and so we gather here on Sundays. But after this, after 1230, this goes back to just being the incubator, and the church will be scattered. The church will be scattered, and a contributor understands that. Therefore, they are missional and seeking restoration in their city. And they understand that although there are great kingdom realities, one is that money fuels mission. Money fuels mission. Are you a consumer or are you a contributor? Paul continues that the uh, Philippians were the only ones that supported him. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs. And once again, this is where he he backs off a little bit. Not uh, Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent. I want to pause there, right? 
Paul goes on and he tells them, man, I, thank you so much. Man, you've hooked me up. I am well supplied. I got plenty. Thank you, thank you so much. I am not seeking the gift that you've given me, but there is something I'm seeking. I am seeking for there to be fruit. That's what he's saying. I am seeking for there to be fruit. We'll talk about that. Here's the second question. Uh, the first one was, are you a consumer or are you a contributor? The second question is, are you an owner or are you a steward? Are you an owner or are you a steward? You see, an owner thinks everything they have belongs to them. Therefore, they withhold everything from possession to finances, and they're incredibly self-righteous. This might be you. They're self-righteous because they've pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. Nobody has helped me. And we talked about contentment last week. If you want to learn more about that, go to that sermon. But that they are ultimately content because of what they've done. However, Scripture teaches that a steward is someone who understands that everything that they have does not belong to them, but it belongs to God, especially finances. And as a result, they have been entrusted with them. They have been entrusted with them for the purpose of multiplying it. They've been entrusted with it for the purpose of investing. They have been trusted with it for the purpose of advancing the mission. Are you an owner or are you a steward? Third question, this isn't really for you, but to think about. Since we talked about consumers and contributors, owners and stewards, then what is the result? What is the result? Because everybody wants results. What is the result of being a contributor and being a steward? Paul says fruit. That's what Paul says. He says, not that I seek the gift. He's talking about the finances that they just got, or that he just got. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Fruit is, another word for it is good works, but works as a result of the work of God in you. Fruit is the work of God in you for the glory of God. For the glory of God. In other words, when we give, not just sacrificially and regularly and, and, and generously and cheerfully, not just those things, but when we give, we are giving because of something that has been done in us, transformation that has taken place in us for the glory of God, not so that others can see, check it out, I bought those chairs. I don't want you here if that's what you're about. We give for the glory of God and for the gospel to be advanced. And Paul goes on to talk about their fruit. He says that, man, because of this, it's a fragrant offering. It's an acceptable sacrifice and something that is pleasing to God. This is what Paul is saying. He is saying that, man, this, is, this, this gift, more than anything, is a demonstration of your faith. This gift, more than anything, is a demonstration of of sacrifice. And so he uses Old Testament language. He says, man, it's a fragrant offering. That means he sets it at the highest level of sacrifice. That he is so proud of them because of what God is doing in them. He says that their gift is a fragrant offering. Man, you know what else was a fragrant offering? Christ nailed to the cross, Ephesians 5. He says, man, this is, this is, this is there. 
Wow, thank you guys. And then he says, an acceptable sacrifice. That means that it is a sacred offering accepted by God and that it is pleasing to him. In other words, he's, he's talking about what he talks about in, in Romans. In Romans, he says to live as living sacrifices and to not be conformed, but to be transformed by the renewing perfect, ple- uh, to be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can discern the perfect, pleasing will of God. That's what he says. He's saying, man, this offering is pleasing to God because it's a demonstration of your transformation. It's a demonstration that God has been at work in you. And so he says it's pleasing to God. And he continues, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul says, man, because of this, not only is God going to have favor on you, but God's going to provide for you and God's going to bless you. Now, that is different, and we're going to explain how, than the prosperity gospel. All right? I'm not telling you, man, give and sow your seed or whatever other language that they use, and he's going to hook you up tenfold, and you're going to get a million bucks. You're not, okay? So uh, when it comes to that, that's not what he's talking about. He's saying that Christ in his glory is going to ultimately fulfill your need. That's not always going to be materialistic. That doesn't mean financially. It means you might just have enough to pay your bills and go grocery shopping and be good. That means that he has provided for you. That means that he has provided for you. And some of you want to hold so tight to your money. Some of you want to hold so tight to really this God that you're trying to serve while at the same time following Jesus. But the truth is you're actually stunting your growth. You're incapable of growing because you can't serve two masters. And so as you're trying to do this, you're trying to hold tight to your money. And what I love, there's this one section in, in Malachi 3. God says, put me to the test. Test me with your money. And tell me that I won't provide for you. Test me with your money. It's the only time in Scripture that he uh, baits us or encourages us to, to test him. And so Paul says that my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be the glory. The glory of God is what we live for. If you're a Christian, let me just... Let me tell you, right? Like everybody's always asking me, what's the purpose in life? The purpose in life is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our purpose. That is what we live for. We don't live for our glory. The fame of Christ's name is our passion, not our name. His kingdom come is our cry, not our kingdom. And so therefore we give him all the glory, all of the glory. And I know there's two more verses, and I want to touch on those at the end of our time. But that was just kind of a brief breakdown of of that section 14, I think, through 20. I want to go into something else where we looked at what gospel-centered partnership looks like. Now we're going to look at the purpose of generosity. There's there's two other sections I have. So we got the the gospel-centered partnership. We're going to look at the purpose of generosity. And then finally, the practice of generosity. And uh, all of those sections have subpoints because that's what I do. The purpose of generosity. This is the why. 
right? This is the why. Why do we give? So I'm going to give you three things. Now, even when we get into the practical side of things, I'm going to be very broad about that. Now, if you want specific, if you have like scenarios, then I would encourage, I mean, I'd love to talk to you after service because that's, I love practical stuff. That's cool. Or you could also go to one of the sermon series that we did at the beginning of the year called Making Disciples or Disciples Making Disciples. We talk about generosity and walk through several scenarios. I would encourage you to go listen to that. Nevertheless, let's go. The first one is worship. If we're looking at the why we are to be generous, the first one is worship. We worship God because we have been transformed by God, not because we've negotiated with him. I'll say that one more time. We worship God because we have been transformed by God, not because we have negotiated with him. He didn't buy us out of slavery to our sin in part and has debt. The debt has been paid through the ultimate sacrifice and generous giving of Christ our Savior. It is paid. Therefore, you are being redeemed. The whole part of you is being redeemed. Therefore, that changes everything. That changes everything. And we put it all on the table because he is worthy. Because it's not only that we have been saved by grace, but it's also understanding what we've been saved from. What we've been saved from, that is eternal separation and punishment. Number two, it's the heart. The why? Because of the condition of the heart. See, the heart reveals our character right? Uh, the Proverbs 3 says, uh, out of the heart flow the springs of life, right? Uh, Jesus says, it's not what's external that's going to make you uh, uh, filthy or that's going to defile. There's the word. He says, it's not what external that's going to defile you. It's actually what's in your heart and it comes out of your mouth. That's what defiles you. That's what defiles you. And so when we're talking about giving, we're talking about the condition of your heart, And a change in our heart is a change in our conduct. The Bible calls that transformation. The Bible calls that transformation. Which means, in light of transformation, it means that we actually do stuff. Right? It means that we do stuff. Not that we are passive in our faith. Some of you will look at that and say, yeah, my heart's been changed, therefore I'm just going to keep sitting here. Because you're so cool. Right? Some of you will look at that and say, man, I'm just going to sit here. I want you to listen to James chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. He writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? What good is that? Man, some of you will want to hyper-spiritualize this. and It actually means transformation isn't just a work in us. It's actually something that comes through us. Faith is not passive. It never is, even by definition. So stop like flipping through your concordance and strongs. Like faith is active, bro. Okay? Like period. It is active. The third thing is, in terms of the why, the third thing is that it advances the gospel. See, for the mission to be advanced in our church and in our city and our nation, giving is not only required, but our motivation for giving is also necessary. 
I want you to listen to the attitude of Paul talking about the Philippians to the church in Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5. through 5. Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Philippi is in Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity of their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Check it, underline this, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part of the relief of the saints. And this is not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. This is what Paul is saying. He's talking to the Corinthians and he is telling them that, man, the church in Philippi wanted a piece of the mission. That they saw that the church in Corinth was exploding and it was growing and they were going through affliction. And what the Philippians are saying is, I want to be a part of that. We want to be a part of that mission. And they begged Paul so that they can give money, so that they can give money so that that church would flourish. So that the mission of the gospel would be expanded and advanced. So that more and more people would come to know Jesus so that more and more people's lives would ultimately be lived for his glory and his glory alone. That's the why. It's the worship. It's the condition of the heart. It's the advancing of the mission. It's the advancing of the gospel. And here would be my next challenge to you. When Paul is talking to the Corinthians, now check it, the Corinthians are about 5,000 miles away from Philippians, or from Philippi. And these guys are, are meeting their needs financially. One of the things that we learn in this, in 2 Corinthians, is that the Philippians, man, they were, they were gathering money because they didn't have a lot of it. They didn't have a lot, but they were like, man, we want to see more people come to know Jesus. We want to see that gospel advance. Yeah, we're on board with that. And Paul is saying, even in the midst of their affliction, they actually gave more. Like when you you talk about tithes and offerings, maybe there was this like static number and then they give above and beyond that. Like they sacrifice, which means it hurts. It hurts. You can't have worship without sacrifice. You cannot have worship without sacrifice. And so they wanted to be a part of it. So here would be... uh, Man, a challenge. This is the prayer of of Proverbs 30. This is verses 7 through 9. The writer says, Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from falsehood and lying. Now he says, I want two things. Please don't deny them to me. Number one, keep lies away from me. Keep lies away from me. Keep those attacks away from me. And then he goes on to say, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. He's saying, man, I want two things. Please don't deny them. I'm looking for two things. Number one, please keep lies away from me. Number two, just give me what I need for today. 
just today. Because if you give me so much, if you give me too much, I'm going to forget about you. And if you give me too little, I'm going to curse you. Now, here's the thing. Money isn't bad, right? Uh, Man, I I love what he said. Uh, John Wesley said, uh, make as much as you can, give as much as you can, and uh, save as much as you can. Like, that's legit. That's really good. Yeah, you don't need a spreadsheet to do that, okay? You don't need a spreadsheet to do that. Make as much as you can, give as much as you can, save as much as you can, right? What he's saying here is that he is begging God to keep him from idols. He is begging God to keep him from idolatry. Black Friday is among us, right? This is, like, here it is. Hold on. Wait, right? This isn't some guilt trip, all right? Because I need a new barbell, okay? This isn't... This isn't some kind of guilt trip. But this is a challenge to check the motivation of your heart. This is a challenge to check the motivation of your heart. Don't tell me you haven't looked at sales. I know you have because I have. All right? Don't tell me you're not waiting for it. You'll set your alarm for that, but you won't set it for work. Okay? Right? Like, we're all there. We're in that bubble together. We're on that boat together. Really, what Black Friday is going to do is it's going to reveal the condition of our hearts, both in and out, in, in, inside and outside of the church. Man, I'm not saying to go buy on sale. Go do it. I am challenging you to check your motivation and the condition of your heart. That's what the writer of this proverb is saying. I want to be clear from idols. I don't want finances to be my God. I don't want this to rule me. Man, let that be our cry. He's not saying I don't want good stuff. He's saying I don't want finances to rule me. And right now, some of you are enslaved with your finances. What do you mean I'm enslaved? It literally means that you're chained up and enslaved to your finances. Paul in Romans 6 says you're either going to be a slave to righteousness or a slave to unrighteousness. And some of you are enslaved right now. It's not, again, it's not that money is a bad thing. It's what you're doing with it. It's the condition of your heart in light of what's going on that makes you a slave to unrighteousness. The truth of the gospel is that God loved us so much that he sent his son to die on a cross for sinners so that in hopes we would be redeemed. The whole part of you everything, and in doing so, that those chains would be broken. You're like, man, I can do whatever I want. I got a really good job. Who is more free? The one who belongs to God or the one who is enslaved to his sin? Chew on that. The next thing, the practice of generosity. Some of you are like, I just want to get to the practical. Here's some really broad strokes when it comes to the practical. We're going to look at three things again. Also, subpoints. Number one, generous giving. Man, if you're like, okay, man, I want to to practice generosity. Number one, be generous. Be generous. Our standard of generosity is Christ nailed to the cross on behalf of sinners. You cannot have worship without sacrifice. Worship always requires sacrifice. 
2 Corinthians 8, 9, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. It means that you're generous, that you're sacrificial in your giving. Practically, it may mean, sure, you need to rebudget. You might need to move things around. Maybe you need to cancel Netflix, or maybe you need to rebudget other areas. You shouldn't go out to eat five days a week. Maybe you should cook your meals at home. All of those things are practical tools to help you not just budget, but to keep the main thing the main thing. Number two, faithful giving. This, in short, means that you follow through. Someone who gives faithfully gives regularly because they hold the promises of the gospel at the front of their mind. They understand that this is for the glory of God. They understand that this is a result of worship. They understand that this is a demonstration of faith. Be faithful in your giving. Again, we can go into the practical side of things and bust out the spreadsheet and move things around and, man, we need to cancel out certain debt. Cool, we can do that. Be faithful in your giving. And then finally, number three, be a cheerful giver. Be a cheerful giver. It is for the glory of God. It is so that we would fight against false idols and that we would spread the gospel. Also, Paul in 2 Corinthians 9 says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Notice how that one's last because we want to pierce the heart of why we give first. It isn't just I'm cheerful to do, man. It is because a result of generosity and sacrifice and the gospel taking presence in your life. That's why you give cheerfully. You give cheerfully for the glory of God, not so that people can see you wave your check. I, I don't care. And neither does he. We give for the glory of God. Man, so that we would, man, operate well in our church so that we would seek the restoration of our city and so that we would come alongside our missional partnerships to see the gospel advance in areas where we're not. But we, like the Philippians, can say, man, we want a piece of that mission. We want what's going on over there and what we can do is send money. If it means it's going to relieve them, if it means more people coming to know Jesus, if it means his glory being made known, if it means that his kingdom is being expanded, we want in on that. That's what it means to be cheerful. That's what it means to be cheerful. Now, all that, we walk through gospel partnership. We walk through, uh, I already forgot. We walk through the purpose of generosity. We walk through the practice of generosity. Now I want to look at just one thing in those last two verses. Just for the sake of time, I want to look at one thing, right? I want to look at the result of generosity. The result of generosity. Let's go back up to those last verses. Paul writes, Greet every, greet every saint, every Christian, every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, this is where I want to focus on, the brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. You might want to underline that. And then he ends, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Here is the result of giving in the context of Paul and in the context really of church planting. When he talks about Caesar's household, 
He's talking about servants and soldiers that have been commissioned to guard him. The same army that's going to behead him in a couple of years is saying, man, they greet you. These saints, in other words, your finances got me here. Thank you so much for that. And I have been sharing the gospel with everyone and anyone, not just the guy at Walmart and not just the crew at Roosevelt's. Here in prison, I'm sharing the gospel with everybody, including the soldiers who have been commissioned to protect me. The ones who are on a rotation, on a daily rotation to guard over me, I'm sharing the gospel with them. And you know what? Some of them have become Christians. And those guys are saying hi. They're saying hi. And they love you. And that's awesome. They greet you. They're so excited about what's going on in Philippi. That's the result. More people came to know Jesus. His glory was made known in a place that people didn't think that his glory was going to be made known. Paul knew that we are not born right with God, that we need to be born again in order to be right with God. And then he took every single opportunity he was in, every single circumstance, every single city, every single moment where he was at to share the gospel with people who did not know Jesus for the glory of God the Father and so that the mission would be advanced. He preached Christ crucified over and over and over and over again. He didn't care if he was in shackles. He didn't care if he had enough to eat. What he did care about was that man's soul. And so he preached the gospel over and over that Christ came, set aside his deity, dwelled among his own creation, and went to die on a cross for sinners, living a perfect life, the life that you and I cannot live, dying the death that you and I actually deserve, and then giving the grace and redemption that you and I cannot earn. That is our Savior. That is our King. And Paul says, these soldiers, these slaves, they say hi. They say hi and thank you. They say hi and thank you. And so we give cheerfully because we have been redeemed by God. We give faithfully because we have been transformed by God. And we give generously because we have been made citizens of heaven by God. And as citizens, we stand firm in faith with one mind, striving toward one goal, and that is the glory of God and the expansion of his gospel. Join me in prayer. God, finances, uh, finances are, are sensitive. Uh, we don't always want to talk about them. Uh, in fact, many of us would actually rather choose not to talk about them. God, but one thing is true. Actually, several things are true. That you sent your son to die on a cross to display the ultimate form, the ultimate standard of generosity. That's number one. That Christ died on a cross for sinners. Number two, that apart from Christ, we are enslaved to unrighteousness. And for many, that finances. We are enslaved to finances, whether it means they, uh, they spend a lot uh, and uh, unwisely, or it feels like you just can't cut a break. We are enslaved to our finances, or many are enslaved to their finances. God, I ask that you, this morning, that you would break those chains. God, I ask that you would break those chains of unrighteousness. You're the only one who can do that. Through the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, you can do that. 
And therefore you call us to repent, that is to turn away from our sin, confess it, and trust in Jesus so that we would no longer be slaves to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. That we would live for your glory and not our own. God, may we be a generous church. May we be a biblical church and a generous church for the glory of your name and the spreading of your gospel. And as we come to a time of tithes and offerings, God, I pray that this is a time where we demonstrate to you our faith and that you would see this demonstration of our faith and sacrifice as a fragrant offering, as an acceptable sacrifice, as something that is pleasing to you by a people who have been transformed by you. May we be good stewards of these finances for the expansion of your kingdom and for the glory of your name. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.